Knowing how to get a hold of a person is really valuable information, isn't it? Turn to your neighbor right now and answer this simple question. Do you prefer phone calls or text? Talk to each other. We'll take a poll in here in a minute. Alrighty, how many in the room prefer phone calls? Raise your hand. How many prefer text? Oh, I, I don't know. I think the phone calls have it. Well, today we begin a series entitled, When God Calls Your Number. And I don't know um, how long you've been around the Bible or um, church, but God is still very much in the business of calling people. And he can get a hold of us in a variety of ways, a phone call, a text, a dream, his word, another person, just about any way you can imagine. For example, with Moses in the Old Testament, he spoke to him through a burning bush. He even spoke to some people in the Old Testament using nothing but the jawbone of a donkey. It's amazing. God can still get a hold of us. Sometimes he just wants to whisper his love and grace in our ears. Words like, I love you, it's okay, I'm not leaving you, I will see you through this one, stay by my side. Other times God wants to speak a word of warning to us, stop, caution, don't go there, don't take another step. But other times God wants to give us an assignment He wants us to go someplace. He wants us to talk to someone. He wants us to do something. Well, over the next five weeks, we're going to peer into the true story of a guy who God had a special assignment for, and we're going to learn from his experience how we should respond to God when he calls us. Now, you probably surmise the guy's name is Jonah, and he has an entire book with his name on it in the Old Testament. But before you turn to the Old, book, uh, Old Testament book of Jonah, I want you to take your Bibles, if you brought them, and I hope you did, and hold them high over your head and say this prayer we're going to say over the next five weeks together, okay? All over the house, here we go, say it with me. Dear God, we study your word to know you, the truth, and to find direction for our daily lives. Give us the guts to follow your will the first time so we can avoid living in the guts of a really big fish. Amen. All right. How about that for a prayer in church? Turn to the book of Jonah, chapter 1, and we'll start right at the top. Jonah, chapter 1, and verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now before we dive into the assignment that God has for Jonah, let's chat just a moment about who Jonah is. Jonah is a prophet from God, meaning his job is to receive direct messages from God to give to other people. That's his job. And his specific group of people are the people of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, around the year 750 B.C., or 750 years before Christ entered into this earth in a manger. Now, apart from the book of Jonah, 
The only other Old Testament reference we have to Jonah is 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 25. And here we learn that Jonah is a very popular prophet during that time. He was very much liked by the king of Israel and by the people of Israel. And why not? Because when you look at 14.25 of 2 Kings, you'll see that most of the messages that God gave Jonah directly to give to the king or to Israel were good news. I mean, I love giving good news to people, don't you? When I have a piece of good news to give to somebody, I rush to them. And as a result, people feel good about me as the bearer of good news. This is exactly how Jonah felt. He felt loved. He felt appreciated. He was extremely popular. He was a rock star, if you will, in Israel. And then God has the audacity to pick up the phone and call him, metaphorically speaking, and he invites Jonah to leave this posh job in Israel where he is popular and leave and go northeast to a city called Nineveh, the capital city of this wicked and pagan people called the Assyrians. North and east. If you look at the map there, Joppa is a city that Jonah is going to go to, but that's the area of Israel, and up to the north and east is the city of Nineveh. These people are the bad guys. These people are bullies. Matter of fact, it says here at the opening that the wickedness of the people of Assyria, of Nineveh, had, was so intense that it reached the desk of God, and he's wanting to send Jonah there to talk to them. It would be like David Robinson being traded from the Spurs to play with the L.A. Lakers. See how bad that is? That's just wrong. That's just wrong. Well, as it turns out, God loves the Assyrian people, even with their wickedness, which is more than I can say about the Lakers. I'm just joking. People are like, man, he's just lying. And don't get me started about the Memphis team. I didn't even know they had a team but they apparently have one good enough to beat our spurs. But I am deterring. Jonah says back to God with this assignment. He says, uh, I'll have to get back with you on this one, God. And he hangs up the phone with no intent on calling God back. You know how I know that? Look at verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah split. Jonah took off. But he doesn't just run away. He runs in completely the opposite direction. Most scholars believe that Tarshish is somewhere along the southern tip of Spain. And if you see where he boarded in Joppa and took off to go to Tarshish, if you draw a straight line across Tarshish to Nineveh, it's 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Jonah was trying real hard to get away from God. As a matter of fact, there's more. Many people believe that in that day, Tarshish was known as a place absent of the presence of God. It's the only place on the planet far away from Israel that was known for being a place where God's presence was absent. You see, Jonah was trying to get out of God's cell coverage so that when God called, there would be no signal. Isn't that funny? 
Had he not read the Psalm of David, which would have been published at that time? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there, which is something he's soon to find out about. It's like the game I play with my granddaughter, Ava. She's two years old. We play a little game of hide and seek, and she puts her hands over her face, and then grandfather, I'm known as Baba, says, where's Ava? And she goes, here I am. Well, that's a really funny game, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, let's try it, okay? I'm gonna do a little game of hide and seek with you, and I'll hide, okay? Just give me a second, okay. Now, I want you to call out, where's Randy, go. Try it again. Here I am. Isn't it amazing? My granddaughter thinks because she can't see me that I can't see her. Now, as a toddler, this is funny. But when grown adults do it, it's just plumb silly, isn't it? But this is the game that we play with God all the time. But what we're going to learn from Jonah today in chapter 1 is this very important message. You can run, but you cannot hide. I want you to take a look at verses 4 and just sort of scan from 4 all the way through 16. And let me tell you how the story unfolds. Jonah boards the ship and he gets pretty far out in the Mediterranean Sea. Then God decides to stir up a great storm so intense that the ship begins to break up. The sailors finally surmise that this storm is caused by none other than Jonah, who is running from God. How do they know that? Because he told them when they boarded the ship, when he boarded the ship. And Jonah finally suggests that the way in which to solve this crisis and for the waters to go calm is for them to throw him overboard into the sea. Now Jonah knows that if he is thrown overboard into this raging sea, he's going to die. But I believe that Jonah still believes in his heart that dying in the Mediterranean Sea is still a better option than going to the people of Nineveh. And so he is thrown overboard and he dies, right? No, he doesn't die. God's not trying to take his life. God has an assignment for him to go to Nineveh. Look at verse 17 and how the chapter ends. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now imagine yourself being in the belly of a big fish for three days and three nights. You would at first glance consider this to be punishment from God, right? punishment from God. But after a second glance, you would see that the fish is an act of God's grace. That Max has talked about these last 12 weeks. Because the fish saved Jonah's life. If it were not for the fish, he would have died. And this is an act of God's grace. Max could have included this story in his grace series, and the G could have stood for gulp, you know? But the fish has another assignment, to take Jonah on a ride back to where he started. Kind of an underground mode of transportation, like jumping on the New York subway or the London channel. It's a one-way ride back home. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that in a couple weeks. But right now, what I'd like to do is just take a moment, a few moments, and to talk with you about what the message of this first chapter 
has to do with our lives? What does it have to do with you? What does it have to do with me? Well, the first question I want to ask you is this. What is God calling you about right now? Oh, believe me, he's calling you on something. What is he calling you about right now? What is his assignment for you? Is he calling you, second question, is he calling you to your own Nineveh? You see, Nineveh is the place that we don't want to go. Nineveh, or the Ninevites, are people we don't want to mess with. Nineveh is the thing we don't want to do. You know, there are many modern-day Ninevehs and Ninevites in our time, people and places that we would like to avoid. For example, one of them here in our own city and on into the hill country is something I wasn't quite aware of when I arrived here just a Uh, just about three years ago, and that is a thing called generational poverty. I don't know if you know it or not, but in our city and in the hill country, we have a bigger problem than many other places in the country with this thing, not just poverty, but generational poverty, where poverty is handed down from generation to generation, and each family digs themselves even deeper into a hole. It's a really sad thing to watch, but you know what? It's really easy (laughs) <laughs> it's really easy for my neighborhood because I can't see them from my front porch. It's kind of like being in Israel during prosperous times. But Roseanne and I have felt for some time now, actually when we first heard about this epidemic in San Antonio and the hill country, that God was calling us to do something. That it really wasn't enough to simply be a Jonah, a voice box for God telling other people what God wanted them to do. I like this job. This is great. Giving you assignments. But I felt like God was nudging us to do something. Well, we had volunteered with our neighbors to go to the Hill Country Daily Bread because we live in Bernie, uh, to Hill Country Daily Bread and to work in the warehouse to sort of sort out food and diapers that someone else would take into Nineveh. But God was saying that while that's a good thing to do, keep doing it, I want you, Randy, to go to Nineveh. And we delayed. And we delayed. I'm a busier than most people. You understand. Finally, this week, our family, along with another family in our neighborhood, have become mentors. Mentors to a young 20-year-old mom with a two-year-old, and we delivered our first box and had our first conversation with her. We have started the long journey of creating a relationship with her, and frankly, I don't know what the outcome is going to be. But God said, don't worry about the outcome. I'm not calling you to be successful, I'm calling you to be faithful. Truthfully, after our first encounter, a delightful gal for sure, but I can tell you this, it's not as much fun as golfing. But, I just couldn't keep sending God to voicemail on this one. And I certainly wanted to avoid the belly of the fish. As graceful as it can be. Now I think another place that I would call a Nineveh in our community are our public schools. Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. I went to public school, but I know maybe just because I'm older now, but they look even scarier than when I was there. They really do. As a matter of fact, because of that, many people avoid them 
and understandably so. But as it turns out, there are hurting kids in our public schools all across San Antonio. And God loves them. You may recall a few months ago there was a lot of uh, uh, stuff in the news regarding a group of teens, a gang called the Wolfpack. Anybody remember that just a couple of months ago, the month of August particularly? Their dress is called emo. Emo is gothic, black clothing, pale skin, funky hairdos, tattoos, piercings, chains, and many of them even wear tails. And I just have to tell you, that weirds me out. I mean, look at me. I mean, I've got triple pleated blue navy trousers on. I've got navy socks to match. I'm wearing a Tommy Bahama shirt with Johnston and Mercy business shoes. We're different. I'm not suggesting that their clothing is villainous. I'm not suggesting that it's wrong. I'm just saying it's different, and I just don't feel as comfortable around them. Do you understand what I'm saying? But as it turns out, God loves them. (laughs) He loves them. And he wants people to reach out to them, only to find out that he sees beyond all the outer stuff that both of us wear, And he sees into our heart. And what he sees mostly in these kids is lonely kids looking for a place to belong. And this is the place where they found it. You may have saw in the news that in the month of October, two of the Wolf Pack kids tragically committed suicide. And our hearts go out to their families. Our community is hurting but God loves him. Who's going to go? Can you imagine God tapping you on the shoulder and calling you to a ministry to the wolf pack? You just might book a trip to Tarshish. Well, this is exactly the calling of our teachers, our faculty, our administrators, our volunteers, and even our students in our public high schools. A call to Nineveh. If if you're a a teacher, a faculty member, administrator, a volunteer in our public schools, or a student, would you raise your hand? All right, let's have you stand. Because these are people, take a look at one of them. Stand up right now. These are people that we need to pray for every single day because of the the call that God has on them to go into our public schools and to represent Jesus Christ. Look around. Find somebody. Wow. We have another team of folks that have received the call to our public schools. We call them here at Oak Hills the Pays team, which in Greek, Pays, P-A-I-S, means child of the king or servant of the king. And we have 26 Pays members from all over the world that are here at the Oak Hills Church in San Antonio living amongst members of our congregation. And they huddle in teams of three and five and, and basically go into our public schools and they hang out with our kids who go to school there, encouraging them in their faith. They hang out in the schools and get to know some of the other kids and encourage all believers who are in the school to reach out and to minister to and offer a word of encouragement, a hug just in time, even to the wolf pack. Well, shortly after the tragic suicides, the Pays team is introduced to a 17-year-old student named Billy, a member of the wolf pack. And out of that came a relationship. I want you to turn your attention to the screens as our minister to students, Dan Niederhofer, has a chat with Billy. Watch this. 
you know, Billy, one of the things that you um, had told me is but between the time that you were 13 and 15 years old that you kind of went off track and uh, from where you had been as a, as a younger, as a younger uh, child and made some decisions that led you to uh, kind of join the Wolfpack. Can you tell me about that? When I was, I got in, I, was, I, I went home just the same thing I usually did when I was around that age. I would just stay secluded in my room playing my games, watching TV. You'd go through the phases of, I guess you could say goth, or emo, or punk rock or something. Mm -hmm. And you'd, you'd look for your place. But I'm, I, I'm positive I found mine already. Yeah. So. When you first met the Pace team and you began to meet Tim and Miriam and Jarrett, what were, what were some of the things that attracted you to them? Why did you want to be a part of what they were doing? more cleaner jokes mm -hmm. and um, like cleaner language and there's just a like I guess a light in like their eyes or something mm -hmm. you see like a difference in, like all of them not just one of them like I just get that sense of like love and like I understand the other thing that uh, the other thing that we talked about was just this journey that you that you talk about in becoming a Christian. You mentioned a couple of pretty key things about the dream and your and your baptism. Can you talk about that for a second? Well, the night I decided to um, like go completely for God was I was asleep one night after I got back from refuge and. Um, I saw a white light in my dream. I couldn't hear the voice. I couldn't understand what it was saying. And as I got closer to the voice and the white light, I still couldn't understand it. And like once I got to the white light, I stepped onto a street of gold, and I was walking along, and I saw these three thrones with this big one in the middle, and I saw this big guy with a white cloak on and a big white beard, <laughs> kind of like Santa, but not fat. And um, he put out his hand like this and said, you're ready, my son. And I woke up in a cold sweat. And I looked up and prayed to God and said, I'm going to do a completely one, a complete 180 and devote my life to you. And since you've been a part of the area group, the Brandeis area group, uh, tell me, tell me about that experience. Uh, what, what's that been like? For you? Well, about two or three weeks after my dream, I heard about the baptism, and like right there, I'm like, this is how I'm gonna show everyone that I'm truly devoted to God. And like asked Miriam about like the baptism information and stuff and she said there's a meeting at Oak Hills Church and I said let's do it and she's like okay yeah. uh, about two or three weeks later I got I was walking down to the river in my tank top and shorts with Tim walking right beside me about five minutes in the line and the one thing I remember right before he put me in the water was this big smile. Mm -hmm. <laughs> awesome. And like right as I saw the water just go whoosh, 
last thing I saw was Tim smiling at me. And that's the first thing I saw when I came out. Yeah. Awesome. But after that, I was like, I did it. Mm -hmm. I'm completely yours. Yeah, that's really awesome. Hey, man, I'm proud of you, Billy. I want to thank you for taking the time to, to kind of share your story with uh, with Oak Hills and with the church here. It really means it really means a lot for you to do that today. So thank you for taking the time to do that. You're welcome. Billy is now a part of the Jesus Pack. I don't know if you were catching his story, but I had a chance to have a conversation with Billy as well. Listen very carefully what he was saying. He was saying that he was lonely. He was sitting in his room by himself playing video games and watching TV, felt like he was on the outside and he needed to find his place. Did you hear that? He needed to find his place. And the only place available to him was Wolfpack. These aren't bad kids. These are kids that are hurting. Billy said that most of the people who join a gang do so because their family's not working at home. Maybe that's not true of all, but it's true of most. Matter of fact, research would show that. That's why we make such a big deal of the family here at Oak Hills. That's why we make such a big deal of gathering around the table and have a meal with your kids and talk to them. Why? Because research shows that if your kids know they have a seat at your table, that they belong there unconditionally, they won't go looking for it someplace else. Did you hear what he said? He said the Pays team gave them a seat at their table and said, we love you. We understand. They were different. And as a result, Billy became a part of the Jesus Pack. Billy couldn't be with us this weekend because of all things, he's at a Youth for Christ retreat. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good place to be, isn't it? <laughs> but I did want to introduce you to two of the three Pays members at the Brandeis area community. Let's give them a hand. Tim and Miriam, come on up. These are two of the people who, uh, on our team of 26, that have received the call to go to Nineveh, and they have gone, along with our students, teachers, faculty, administrators. This is, we have Jared, who is on that retreat with Billy right now. He's from Pennsylvania. We have Tim, who comes to us from Houston, Texas. Show us that smile that he saw. He's the one who did the baptism. So look at that smile. That's a good smile, huh? And this is Miriam that he referred to, who came to us from Germany. We're so excited to have you. This is Chris and Emma, who are leaders of the 26 Pays members, along with Dan Niederhofer, and they come to us from England. And I have asked one of our elders, one of our area community elders from Brandeis, uh, Tom, to lead us in a prayer. If you feel comfortable, would you extend a hand to our Pays apprentices as Tom leads us in a word of prayer? Father, we're just so amazed at what you can do and the way that you transform us. And Father, as, as we think about Billy, Father, we, we pray you will bless him, Father. We know that you came to him and you spoke to him when he was in a dark place. And Father, that, that he heard you and he turned and he followed where you told him to go. Father, we, we rejoice in that. We pray you'll bless him, bless the Young Life team in every way that he will continue to show and share your love to those around him. And Father, we also know that... Uh, that the Pays ministers uh, have done so much, Father, to reach out 
to touch lives in the, the areas where they work in the schools, Father, in, in a special way. We thank you for Tim, for Miriam, for Jarrett, for, for Chris and Emma, for, for all of the things that they've done. And Father, we know that, that at some point you told them, I want you to go to a place that's new and different. And they listened to your voice and they went. And Father, we thank you so much for the way that you use them and, and that they have been the instrument of your grace to transform lives. And we pray you will continue to bless that, Father. For the many other PAYS team members who work in so many settings and so many schools here, Father, just continue to bless that. And finally, Father, as, as I think of the way that uh, Tim and Miriam and, and Jared have, have blessed my family and my student at Brandeis, Father, in, in our lives, uh, Father, I know sometimes I, I choose not to listen and not to want to hear what you tell me. Father, for me and for all of us, Father, as, as you speak to us, Father, help us to know that there's no place that we can run that you won't follow and you won't be there. Father, not, you don't follow us to punish us, Father. You follow us to transform us. Just help us to, to, to take that, Father, and, and be open to you and your leadership because we know that that the greatest element of the story of Jonah that inspires us, Father, is that there is a tremendous city that was saved. And, Father, we know that, that that's what you want to happen in your will. Father, we just pray that you would, would touch us and speak to us and turn us to you in whatever way that will accomplish that. And we just lift all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, my friend. Let's give them one more hand for the work that they do. So I'm going to ask you one more time, where is your Nineveh right now? That place, that person, that thing that God is wanting you to face, but you would rather avoid. It goes beyond the poor and even our public schools to many, many possible issues in your life. My encouragement to you is not to send God to voicemail any longer not to try to get out of his cell coverage, but to pick up the phone and hear what he has to say. And do it soon, before you hear a big fish say, I'm gonna have people for dinner tonight. Father, we thank you so much for your word and for the story of Jonah. Now we take this moment to ponder what it means in our life as we come to you in prayer, in Jesus' name.